for the past couple of months, we've been talking about growing deeper in our faith. And the reason for that is because we need stability. We need a really great foundation to endure all of the things that we experience in life. We've talked about over the past couple of months how having those deeper roots come from our faith that's based on God's Word, the Bible. We've talked about how important it is for us to pray and ask God for things and to keep praying for things. And we've talked about what real devotion looks like. Today, we're going to talk about something just a little bit different, and that has to do with understanding this very basic idea that God really loves you. God really loves you. Now, I want to twist that just a little bit, and I want to take the word you out, and I want you to put the word me there. Okay? You follow me? God really loves me. So I want you to say that with me together. Everybody out loud, let's say it. God really loves me. All right, you said that, but you didn't say it like you mean it, okay? Let's try it again. God really loves me. So here's why I want you to say that and say it over and over and over again. There are moments in our lives when circumstances, life changes our view of who God is. And there are moments when stuff is so tough, so difficult, so challenging, we don't feel loved by God. We question God's love. Sometimes that comes because of things that we experience in our life, meaning negative events, financial events, catastrophic events, hurricanes, tornadoes, car accidents, sickness, death. And then we're going to throw into that another little mix, and it's called people. People. People can sometimes be so toxic or negative that we not only find it hard to love that person or those people, but they can actually rob us of understanding and knowing that God really does love us. Maybe you are in a marriage that your husband or your wife was not a nice person. Maybe, maybe they weren't loving to you, and here we are, the week of Valentine's. And you know that is one day that people either love or hate. Because when people think of Valentine's Day, they don't always think of candy and hearts and cards and love and dinner and, and love. And they think of, I, I, don't, I don't like the person I'm with, much less love them. Or they may even say, you don't know who I'm married. Some people might say, you don't know my father. Or you don't know my mother. Some might say, you don't know what's going on in my life. I've met so many people in, in my life who have shared with me some of their darkest moments of people in their life who were very, very I, I just want to say bad, but it goes beyond bad. Little girls and little boys repeatedly molested by someone in their family. Wives who were beaten repeatedly 
verbally abused by their husband. You see, the list could just go on and on and on and on. There are so many stories that I could just share with you. And all of those kinds of things affect the way we see God. And we may actually question, God, do you really love me? And we say sometimes, God, if you really did love me, then you wouldn't let this happen to me. When some people hear that God is our loving, gracious, heavenly Father, they think of their own father and they go, you don't know my dad. And if God is anything like my dad, I want nothing to do with God because he's not very loving. The reason I'm sharing, this is the, the first of two parts, meaning today we're talking about growing deeper in our understanding that God really does love us. Next week, I'm going to share with us how we can, in turn, really love other people. Because Jesus said, when asked, what is the greatest of the commandments? And Jesus said, the first commandment is to love God with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And then he said, and to love your neighbor as you love yourself. That's next week. But today, we need to get our heads straight and our heart right with understanding that God really does love me. And God really does love you. Because if we're not careful, our perception of God will become so distorted, we don't really love God the way we're supposed to love God. And if we don't really love God, guess what? We're not going to be able to love ourselves or those around us. So today I'm proposing this idea to you. If you're struggling in human relationships, meaning your wife, your husband, your mom, your dad, your brother, your sister, your cousin, your uncle, your co-worker, your church member, whoever it happens to be, if you're struggling in some way with the human side of love, the very reason you're struggling may be that you're not really understanding how much God loves you and how he wants you to love him. Because honestly, we can't love others unless we are receiving and enjoying God's love ourselves. See, that's what I want us to understand today. So, without any further ado, I'm going to dive into 1 Samuel 18, verses 6, 7, 8, and 9. So, this story is just it's an incredible story. It starts out okay. David, the young 16-ish year old warrior, technically shepherd, who has been anointed already by Samuel the prophet to be the next king of Israel because Saul rejected God. All right, that's another story. But David fights Goliath, defeats Goliath, the big giant of a man. Brady, you remember years ago when we were in the other building, I was Goliath and you were David. That's how tall you were back then. It was kind of a picture of us showing each other how it was. And he, he killed me right there on stage, y'all. He put me out with his slingshot. All right, that's a slight exaggeration. But anyway, so now David is coming into town. Verse number 6, as the troops were coming back, when David was returning from killing the Philistine, the women came out from all the cities of Israel to meet King Saul. 
singing and dancing with tambourines, with shouts of joy, and with three-stringed instruments. Isn't it funny how the Scripture just puts these little things in there? This was a big celebration, a big day of we defeated Goliath and the Philistine army. We are happy and we're excited and we're worshiping God. Verse 7, as they danced. They danced, y'all, they danced. I don't dance. I do, but it's not really pretty. He says, as they danced, the women sang, Saul has killed his thousands, but David is tens of thousands. Hmm. I don't know what tune that was sung to. I thought about singing it to a tune this morning. And then I thought better of it when I heard myself sing in my head. So Saul has killed his thousands, but David is tens of thousands. You get the picture, don't you? Young teenage David killed Goliath, and in their minds, he killed tens of thousands of people. Saul, eh, he's killed thousands. Big, mighty, strong Saul, the tallest warrior in all of Israel, the king of Israel, was too afraid to fight Goliath. But yet, look at David. He stood before the giant and he killed him and all others. Hooray, David! Saul, verse 8, was furious and resented this song. Saul said they killed, they credited tens of thousands to David, he complained, and they only credited me with thousands. What more can he, David, have but the kingdom? See, Saul was filled with rage and jealousy at that moment of what should have been a great celebration. Saul injected his own desires for credit and pats on the back and and all of that so that he could be elevated. And instead, it all went to David. Verse 9, so Saul watched David jealously from that day forward. For the next seven-ish years, after this, this moment of celebration by everyone in the city except Saul, Saul his jealousy increased to the point not long after this. It became toxic. I mean, very toxic. At one point, David, I mean, Saul's losing his mind. Do you know why he lost his mind? It's because he had disobeyed God earlier, and now he's, because of his sin and because of God's rejection, God's spirit left Saul. And, and Saul was left to himself. And Saul allowed the demonic forces of Satan to overpower his mind and his heart. And his jealousy grew. And he's, he's walking further and further away from God. And in one moment, David came in with a harp to calm his nerves. And everything was going fine, and Saul, in an instant, just lost it, picked up his spear, and hurled it at David. And David was able to avoid being pinned to the wall. And for the next seven years, David was always one step ahead of Saul because of God's leading him and protecting him. 
More than once did Saul hurl a spear at him. More than once did Saul bring large armies of people to hunt David down and see that he was killed. More than once Saul went to his house to arrest and kill him. Saul was incensed with jealousy. The focus of the story is not Saul. Saul had lost his ever-loving mind. That was his problem. He had to deal with that. But I want you to just think for a moment. Maybe put yourself in David's shoes. 16, 17, maybe 18 years of age. From that point on, he actually had to go into Philistine, the enemy territory, and he lived until Saul's death. So somewhere between 20-ish years, David is on the run as a fugitive. And he's wondering, God, you, you, you anointed me to be the king of Israel. I don't wish any ill upon Saul. I don't want him harmed. I'm not going to kill him, even though David had the chance to kill Saul on at least two or three occasions. He literally had the opportunity, but he said, I will not kill God's anointed. I want you to think about David for just a minute because he was actually in the family now because Saul said to the person who killed Goliath, I'm going to give you one of my daughters to be your wife. So Michal was the daughter given to David. So technically Saul was David's, guess what, father-in-law. So you, this is not just the king after him. This is his own father-in-law who says, I am going to kill you. Can you imagine having dinner at daddy's house? It wasn't pleasant. It was tense. Saul's son, Jonathan, and David became best friends. Jonathan saw David's heart. He understood what David was called to do. Jonathan did his best to protect his friend, and his daddy even tried to kill his own son, Jonathan. Jonathan was spared. Saul was bona fide crazy. You see, events and people, if we are not careful, can rob us and steal from us God's genuine love. I want you to see this story, and I want you to understand that Jesus himself said when he walked this earth, these few words in Matthew 7, 11, he says, we give our children good gifts, basically. But he said, if we give our children good gifts, he said, God gives good gifts to his children. God gives the best gifts to his children. But see, here's what some of us see. We have human relationships and sometimes circumstances in our life that make us question, does God really love me? If God really loved me, then this bad stuff wouldn't have happened. God would have protected me from all of this. And so here's David. Around a very toxic, crazy man. Father-in-law, Saul. They're always right. There's always drama. They're never at fault. They lie. They're angry. They're bitter. They're abusive. They slander. They really only love themselves. 
And we all might know some people like that in our life. And when we are with people like that, or we are in circumstances of financial or death or sickness, and we may say, God, if you really loved me, then you wouldn't have let this happen. And we wonder, God, how can I love you? Well, here's what I want to share with you today from not just this story, but all of Scripture. We have to change our perspective of who God is. See, we have to know who God really is. I'm just going to give you three quick things this morning so that we can really know, truly know beyond any doubt that God really does love us when we are going through those tough moments. Those moments of unbearable people in our life or those unbearable circumstances that just seem unfair. The first one's this. We need to learn to trust God's promises. God has made so many promises to us. We sang this morning about God's love for us. We understand, yes, that's there, but in the moments when life is challenging and difficult, we don't always feel, hear me, feel God's love. There may be moments my wife doesn't always feel loved by me. You know what I mean by feel loved? Those moments when I aggravate her, those moments when I frustrate her, those moments when I might fail to say a word of encouragement, those moments when I might fail to say thank you for, and in those moments because of something that might have happened in her day, she may at that moment conclude, well, he just doesn't love me. And the same is true when it comes to our relationship with God. And guess what? The same is true in my life when my relationship with my wife. There may be those moments when I feel unloved. But your feeling has nothing to do with truth. Because we can distort truth. And so we need to understand that we, we've got to trust God's promises. Psalm 100, verse 5, a real short psalm, simply reads this way. The Lord is good. We got that right. The Lord is good. His unfailing love continues forever. Forever. And his faithfulness continues to each generation. John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him would not perish but have what? everlasting life see we need to wrap our heads around the truth of God's word and God's promises that God really does love us he has said it over and over and over even in the book of Romans in chapter 5 Paul wrote under God's inspiration that God demonstrated his love to us in that while we were yet sinners Christ died for us we're all sinners today. We all have broken God's laws. I'm a sinner. Ask the people that live in my house. They know I'm a sinner. Oh, they could tell you stories. Even those who visit regularly could tell you stories, Becky. I got stories on her too. So anyway, here's the point. See, we, we, we are all imperfect, and we need to understand and remember, God, you told me, and promised me that your love for me is unending. And while I don't understand why 
I don't feel loved or why I'm undergoing and going through all that I'm going through, I'm going to learn to trust your promise that you really love me. See, David, for some 12-ish, I mean, certain 15-ish years, could have very easily felt unloved by God. He could have gone back to the day when Samuel came and said, guess what, you're going to be the new king of Israel one day. I'm going to anoint you, but don't tell anybody, because if you do, then you might get killed and I might get killed. So this is our little secret. And then when David fought Goliath and won, and he heard all the people singing his praises, it could have gone right to his head. And he could have become prideful. And yet, it triggered something in Saul that caused him to seek him, to kill him for some seven years. Hmm. See, when we want something, when we pray for something, when we're going through something, when we're running for our lives, when we're wondering, God, really, do you love me? If we're not careful, then our lack of understanding and accepting and receiving God's love and then loving God back through the midst of those difficult times in our life may rob us of our own human relationships. The second thing I'll share with you is this. When you're going through those moments when you're wondering, God, do you really love me? Seek God in that moment. I mean, really seek God with sincerity and even honesty. I mean, honest prayer. Not only did David have to deal with Saul early in his life, After he is now the king of Israel, some years later, an uprising from one of his own sons crept up. The son's name was Absalom. And Absalom looked at his daddy one day and concluded, he doesn't need to be king, I'm going to be the king. And and he, he engineered a way to take his daddy out of power. So much so, he was willing to kill his own father. David loved Absalom, and he wanted Absalom to come to his ever-loving senses. He ended up having to flee the palace and run with a small army. He had to endure the embarrassment and the humiliation of it all. So whether Absalom or Saul, David continually sought God in those moments when life turned upside down. David, in Psalm 109, you might want to read that someday, Psalm 109, read it, because whether it was talking about Saul or Absalom or some other event, this is what David wrote in just a few selected verses. Verses 1 and 2, God whom I praise, don't stand silent and aloof while the wicked tell lies about me. Hmm. God, They're lying. God, where are you at? God, why are you silent? God, I praise you. I'm not feeling really loved right now. I feel abandoned. And then he added, verse 4, God, I I love them, but they try to destroy me. You You see the pain in David's heart? God, I'm praising you, and I keep praising you, and yet look at what's going on. I love them. They're trying to destroy me. You know what he prayed in the middle of the prayer? 
He prayed a prayer something like this. I'm not reading, quoting these, but he basically prayed this. God, would you please just take them out? Would you just deal with them? Would you remove them from my presence? God, I want the pain to go away. That's called honest prayer. There may be some folks in your life or a circumstance in your life, and you just lay it at the altar, and you're like, God, I need you to wipe this out. I need you to deal with this. I'm not handling it very well. And right now, I'm not feeling very loved by you. But then when you get to the end of the chapter, verse 22, he then said, I am poor and needy. I'm poor and needy. See, when we are honest and we honestly seek God, we sincerely seek God, and we just let all of that emotion out and we lay it at the altar of God, and we can say, God, I am just a poor, needy person. I am nothing. Even though I'm the king of Israel, I am nothing. And, and for me, even though I am a pastor, I am nothing. Even though I am a husband, I am nothing. I am nothing before you, God. I am poor and needy. And then he added in verse 26, Help me, O Lord my God. Help me and save me because of your unfailing love. Help me, God. I know you love me. I just don't know what to do. We, we must trust God's promises. We must sincerely seek Him when we question whether God loves us or not. I want you to hear something. God may not deliver you from a toxic person or a toxic, a toxic circumstance immediately. When you sincerely seek Him and when you pray on His prayers and while you are trusting Him, He may not deliver you immediately. It might take a year or two or three or four or twenty. You've got to keep your hand to that plow. Because the final thing that I want to share with you is, is, is the real growing deeper that will help you surely know God, you really do love me, and I'm trying to get it, and I'm trying to understand it. You really have to get to know Jesus. And you're like, okay, cliche. That just sounds like a preacher talk there. Just get to know Jesus, and it'll be all right. That's what you got to do now. Just get to know Jesus, and it's going to be fine. Listen, this is not a cliche. This is not a cliche. We don't really understand Jesus in our minds. We don't understand Jesus in our hearts. And when we struggle with something and wonder if God really loves us, I want, I want you to, this is a, an important verse, Philippians chapter 3, verse 10. Philippians 3, 10, it simply says this, I want to know Christ. I want to know Christ. I don't, I don't want to just know him in my head. I want to know him in a relationship. Ron and I have been married for 44 years. That's a long time, and yet compared to some of you, it's not a long time. 44 years. I know a lot about her. She knows a lot about me, but guess what? There are still things I learn about her. Not every day, but many days. There are, there are things I don't like about her. There are things she don't like about me. 
but we are committed to each other. We are in love with each other. And, and, and every day brings the possibility of a new adventure of getting to learn something new about each other. So here, here's what I'm saying. If we do that in our human relationships, why in Salem Hill do we not get to know Jesus better? We just think we know everything about God and everything about Jesus, but, but we need to know him, not just book knowledge. But we need to know that his love for us is real. And then he says, I want to know Jesus, and I want to experience his mighty power. You know what the mighty power of Jesus really is? He gave his life freely, willingly on a cross. He died for the sins of all people who will believe and trust in him. He was buried dead. He was raised from the dead. The resurrection power defeats death and the grave. It gives us life. That's power. One day this physical body will die, but my spirit and my soul will never die. My spirit and my soul will be in heaven someday, and one day God will raise my dead, corrupted, decayed body, and he will recreate it new, and I will live with a new body and a new spirit and a new mind forever and ever and ever in heaven. Not, not because I've been a good person, but because I trusted Jesus to be my Savior, and I know Jesus and I want to experience his resurrection power, not when I'm dead and gone, but I want to experience it on this side of heaven. So we, we live defeated lives when we question what's going on around us because we question, God, do you really love me? We need to ask God, God, I want to know you, and I want your resurrection power in my life to endure what I'm going through. That's what David was doing. It's okay to question. It's okay to be honest with God when you wonder, God, do you really love me? God, deliver me. But no, we've got to say, God, I am going to experience your power to endure this. Give me wisdom. And then the last part of this verse, whew, I, I, want, I want to suffer with him. I, I want to suffer with Jesus. Who wants to suffer? Nobody, really. Sign me up for the suffering boat. If there was a cruise boat named Suffering, where when you know going into the boat, the food was going to be subpar, you know, beanie weenies, stale bread, cheese, you had to cut the little green things growing off of it. Fish that smelt bad. Beds that had bugs in it. Water that gave you the need to go frequently to the bathroom. Rough waters and rough seas. Pillows that were too fluffy or too flat. Singers that could not sing. It would be like the, the, the horror show of the seas. They would not be in business, would they? See, we don't want to do that. We don't want to suffer. We, we want life as easy as possible because we don't want to hurt. 
We don't want pain. We don't want tribulation. We, we just want it easy and smooth. We want relationships that are always happy and friendly, and we never want to fight. We never want to fuss. We want it easy. And yet, this verse of Scripture and all of Scripture concludes the same. When we know Jesus on a personal way, in our minds and in our hearts, and we're saying, I need your resurrection power this side of heaven, because Jesus, you suffered for me on that cross. You willingly suffered for me. The sins of all the world of all time, including all of mine, were placed upon your shoulders and God himself turned his back on you and darkness covered the face of the earth. You endured all of that because you really loved me. So God, in some small way, helped me to experience just a little suffering and endure it so that I can become more like you. When you, when you buy into that, this is one reason I don't believe in what's called easy believism, easy salvation. God never told us being a follower of Jesus would be easy. If you want to be a follower of Jesus, it's, it's, going, to be, it's going to be tough at times. And you can't do it in your own. You've got to love Jesus and know that he loves you even when it's not easy, just like David did. And David had his, his moments do you hear what I said just a minute ago when I mentioned Psalm 109? He says, help me, God, save me because of your unfailing love. Help me, God, because of your unfailing love. I can't do this. I need your love. I need to know you love me, and I know you love me. Help me to not just feel it, but help me to experience your love. God, give me your resurrection power, even now. That's what we need. And when we are truly understanding and knowing that God loves us, guess what? We can love other people who are difficult and challenging. Those people that rub us the wrong way, that's next week. But today is today. Today, I want you to be able to say out loud, God, you really love me. God, you really love me. God, you really love me. That's what I'm praying for you today.